This podcast is in association with Spotlight Studios, a family of podcasts driven to create unique, one-of-a-kind content. If you have any interest in learning more, please visit SpotlightStudiosPodcast.com. Hey everyone, the drunken angel is back and he's tipsier than ever. We've got more facts, more fun here for you guys in the green room. As we look back on the movie, what is your interpretation? Three, two, one. The limelight. This was made in 1948. Now, I'm no expert on Japanese culture or society in the 1940s, pre or post World War II, but maybe there was a sense that they were irresponsible in their involvement in World War II that led to a lot of sadness and despair and shame. And this movie was showing if you want to have a crumbling society, be proud. Don't look at problems as they arise. Don't look at what you need to do. The only way to get past something like that is you have to think more youthfully with spirit and respect. And don't be fearful of change. We know how Kurosawa feels about it in the sense that he literally wrote into the movie the Japanese love to sacrifice themselves for stupid things. His true intentions of good and bad, it's a point by point basis. There's no one that's truly good. There's no one that's truly bad. Everyone has their vices and their pains, but we need to look forward with new eyes. If we stay the same, we will turn into the cesspool. I've always been such a fan of Sonata, his worldview and the way he approaches problems, the way he approaches people's struggles and in his brashness, how he still has compassion and he still strives to make those people's lives around him enriched, even if he does it in an unorthodox type of way. I've always been drawn to it. And when you start pulling it back to a much grander scale, as we're talking on the city front with the cesspool of the pond and the cesspool of the whole society of that time, it is, it's Kurosawa using Takashi Shinara as his, his puppet to kind of speak to society and speak to Japan in that moment and say, hey, we can do this. We just have to make some tough decisions. It's not gonna be easy, but we have to look ourselves in the mirror face this disease that we've created. And I think that's one of the reasons I really wanted to pick this movie and watch this is it's it's a super interesting look at the early formative years of uh, Kurosawa. And Kurosawa is a definite master. He is a visionary, inspired countless directors through his style and his pacing, his storytelling, and his movement with the camera is absolutely brilliant. Like we said multiple times before, some of it was a little jarring and maybe kind of took you out of the element, but the early stages of that blocking and the language of cinematography that he would later go on to master and be known for as his signature. Everyone has to have the movies that get them to the points where they become the master. If you don't have practice beforehand, it's just awesome to see someone that actually took the time to create all of these pieces that he worked on. And I mean, I'm sure he had the resources in order to do it. But 30 movies is insane. He's a trendsetter. He's monumental. Found his style and found his spirit. I think he was a painter before. So he had that discipline of creating art every day. He was building that muscle. I think once he found these actors, these two guys that he could create art with, 
His creativity had no limit. I love directors that like get obsessed with their actors and they're like, no, I'm going to write this for you. It's always fun. You, the director actor relationship. Yeah. Obviously a relationship built off trust. You trust and take time to, to create this art and they trust this one person to do that with. Toshiro Mifune, whenever he auditioned for this role, it didn't really have much. I mean, he was the Yakuza gangster, sure, but the movie was more about Dr. Sonata. As soon as he saw the way this guy was acting and the way he could just tear up a scene, I think is the correct yeah, term, truthfully. right, Gabby? Yep, absolutely. I mean, holy crap, this dude <laughs> chews up the screen. <laughs> He not only fell in love with him and expanded his role in this film, but yeah, like like we said, 16 more after. It was hard to keep your eyes off of. He's pretty magnetic. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, I mean, both of them. I was about to say, same with Takashi uh, Shinara, because we should say that he was in 21 of Akira's Oh my God. Films, and I believe this was his fourth one. So he had already developed a relationship with Kurosawa at this point, And you could really see the way those three acted and directed and played with this script. It's beautiful. I was watching some YouTube videos on Kurosawa and you could see just those iconic scenes with these actors. You just couldn't imagine any other actor like no. doing it. Exactly. Because yeah, I'm sure they mature together as he's maturing his movies. These actors are maturing themselves as well. I'm sure like technology is changing with film during the time as well. And oh, it's like yeah. everyone is constantly learning and becoming better together. Very freaking cool. That's the dream. Yeah. And they loved it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it started with this one. And you see it grows stronger. Kurosawa's filmography. This is just no. the brink of his style. Very beginning. And then his visionary Mecca was coming, but was coming with that actor. You saw the mastery storytelling that would transpire for the next 40 years. Yeah, I think it's 40 or something like that. It's nuts. Uh, It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, his catalog's insane. He's creating things almost every single year of his life. Nonstop. Nonstop creator. That's like Hayo in that sense, though, too, that even when he was supposed to be retired, he's like, physically, I can't do that. I can't be (laughs) retired. I don't, I never heard of that word before. And those are true artists. When you just can't do anything else, you're going to do it until it's time to go. Yeah, truthfully. I also think it's so interesting, too, to have watched this right after watching Oppenheimer as well and seeing such little recognition of the Japanese suffering in that. Not necessarily that like we needed to see it in Oppenheimer since it specifically was through Oppie's viewpoint. We didn't need to see the turmoil of Japan necessarily, but it was really interesting choosing to watch this when I saw Oppenheimer like two weeks ago. This is post-World War II Japan. This is what he did. That was the immediate impression or that's the immediate way that they thought to express their ideas on the war. We have to create something that other people can see. He wants to make a post-war movie. The brilliance of it too is that there's a lot of western restrictions as well as to what he could and could not show. Specifically he couldn't show GIs in this movie. He couldn't show uh, different things that, you know, would put them in a post-war era. So the way that he, you know, told the story through the pond, through the society, through the Yakuza, through the feudalist system and the doctor denying all of this. Yeah, it's 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 kind of 
brilliant just the way that he got this made. How it says so many things with all of those restrictions behind it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really fun. Masterful. One of the truly most unique, heartbreaking times of history in general. And it's something that like, I'm very glad that I got to watch and see too, because like, yeah, just seeing that movie and having almost no representation of Japanese people. This was nice. On a personal note, you know, there's things that have happened in my life where I've had a problem and really the only way to get through that problem is you have to go down deep into the core and find out why you're doing those things. And until I did, life just seemed so sad. The minute I did start to look inside and want to fix it, life became beautiful again. I mean, I didn't go through World War II, but I think everybody can relate to that aspect. Absolutely. And also that there is no such thing as a perfect person. Even the angels of the world have their vices. The people who will choose to be the best people in the world and will still have their struggles and issues. But it's a choice of constantly looking within yourself and seeking out the best of yourself and finding the people who bring out the best around you. That's just how life is supposed to be. And to me, you bring out the best in me. Oh, Aaron, <laughs> you bring out the best in me too. And I'm just so happy to, to uh, explore this show with you. And This is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily call it a hobby anymore because hopefully we'll make money off of it someday. But you know, it's like, this is like my favorite thing to do. Oh yeah. I love it. Hang out on a Monday. Talk uh-huh. about a good movie. Literally. And now I'm going to go home and do the responsible stuff. Mm, <laughs> right? I might not. We'll see about rational, that. Rational living. Okay, rational, rational living. living. Spotlight. All of our resources will be found in the show notes or on the website. Please check them out if you have any questions.